and the rings are at, not at 90 degrees when he hits the ball. He's not going to hit his home run, and he's going to break his bat, maybe. Yeah. So that's part of the scale, and that's coopering technology in sport. I like that we brought this back to baseball. Not that we started in baseball, that's pretty, started baseball. but that's pretty amazing. Um, that's just a piece of trivia on, on, on some of the influences that Coopering has had on yeah. other things, you know? Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four, one, two, three, four. In the podcast, we have an odd, um, I don't know if it's an odd thing. It's a it's wonderful really, thing. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. It's a really new thing, especially because it involves Canada. Uh, we have Jameson here. Uh, Gary Butley from... Gary Butley from Jameson from Middleton and Cork. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you are responsible for... I'm responsible for all our barrel, our wood in, in the production of making whiskey, whether that's American barrels or Spanish casks or... Masada, Madeira, so anything that comes in that's in a barrel, it's my responsibility to ensure they're good quality and they're handled properly, they're filled properly, they don't leak in warehouse. And um, so in Midland currently now we have about 1.4 million casks mm-hmm. in warehouse. So it's quite a lot. Um, uh, McCallan has a similar person, a similar position to you, but he's called the Master of Wood. Do you ever go by that title? We, we have, uh, my boss would be the Master of Wood, I suppose, Master of Maturization. Okay, okay. Um, so we would work very closely together. So you're like the... Um, the... So yeah, we, we're, I suppose we're a partnership and a team, and, yeah. and there's a few more people involved as well. So uh, would regularly visit cooperages, mm-hmm. regularly visit forests. Mm-hmm. So it would be very much about sustainability as much as um, anything else and traceability. So, um, yeah, even when I go back, I go to a, an oak felling mm-hmm. um, where we're making barrels again from Irish oak, yeah. which has uh, been uh, absent for almost 150 years for various reasons. Um, so yeah, we, we that that would be my role as Cooper involved in okay. every aspect of the business that involves the wood. Now the interesting thing is we have um, we have Steve uh, Bouchain from Bose. That's really. How you doing? Uh, doing very well, Steve. Uh, now this is this was kind of an odd meeting. In fact, because I'm like, what, what's an Ontario brewery? <laughs> a very very. Um, you were one of the original kind of craft brewers in Ontario, very early on. I would say, at least in my experience. I'm not a beer drinker, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, but you're uh, very well known here in Ontario, and and um, so how did you guys? How did this? So tell me first what what your uh, what you do, and how did this come about? Yeah, sure. So my dad and I started Bo's All Natural Brewing Company in 2006. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, Almost 12 years old. Mm-hmm. You know you're young when you still use the word almost. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we, we're certainly not the oldest brewery in the province, mm-hmm. but we've been around kind of before things really took off. And so we, we still kind of get, get pioneer status a little bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, we are a family-run brewery, so my dad's still involved. Uh, I'm the CEO, um, and I've got family members sprinkled throughout the brewery. Uh, we're also employee-owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started the process of, of transitioning to full employee ownership. Um, and uh, I guess the, the partnership uh, is kind of a kind of a fun, long and winding story. Um, Involves some whiskey and some beer, I assume? It certainly yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> then tell me all about it. I want to hear everything. <laughs> yeah, Jared, do you want to start well, maybe by uh, giving the cask mates over Maybe you? Uh, if I give the history of how this product uh, originally is not that old. Uh, we're only at this a few years. Um, a couple of years ago, um, two friends in Middleton, the master distiller, um, Brian Nation and Dave Quinn, a master distiller, were just bitterly having a pint mm-hmm. with a good friend of theirs in the brewing industry, um, Shane Long. And Shane asked 
the two distillers is any chance of getting a couple of barrels just so you can maybe age a beer in it and see how it turns out and not a problem yeah. give you six barrels off you go and uh, so then when the barrels were finished um, Shane contacted the boys and said look you know do you want the barrels back to fit into beer and they said I'm not really sure you know kind of not sure if we put our whiskey in a beer barrel or whatever and and the second uh, trial that Shane done was really delighted with the, the product when it came out um, to get a, a, a Jameson finish um, influence within the beer. Mm-hmm. So he did it a second time. And on the second time, he more or less said, you know, you have to take the barrels back. I have no room in my yard. <laughs> they arrived in Middleton. Um, and uh, Brian said, look, let's throw some mature Jameson into it for a trial, see what happens. Yeah. And surprisingly enough, about two or three months later, tasting the barrels, absolutely amazing effect from the beer from that hops and kind of chocolate coca bean mm-hmm. flavors coming off it and took the whole idea to marketing so it's one of the few occasions we actually took a product idea to marketing instead of the other way around <laughs> how did marketing not get you that one i mean come have, on <laughs> yeah um it's, it's it was a pure accident of the history that con- that one conversation in in the bar about barring some bars to age a beer it's it's just and it's nice know, that somebody <laughs> best things happen from accidents. Or from well, I was going to say, because you know that, that there's a few other distilleries doing something similar now, and you know that was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Marketing came to them like, hey, these, these guys in Jameson yeah, are doing yeah. this beer and, and there's thing. A, there's a couple in Ireland followed suit. Yeah. Um, so we, I suppose, we're at a heads up on it, so we've linked up pretty much with a lot of brewers around the world now. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity to link up with the guys in Bowes, the craft brewery, and the thing, um, like say about with uh, beer and whiskey, is that they're, they're cousins. Yeah. Because as many people would know, in order to make whiskey, you've got to make a beer, and then you basically distill the beer, your mash. Yeah. Um. So they're they're very closely linked anyway. I got to um, say though, I've tasted the beer mash from uh, whiskey. It doesn't taste very <laughs> no, good. I, I, no. You're not very good beer makers in <laughs> no. general. In uh, well, we're not well, making where we come in. Right? <laughs> we're, we're not making a beer for general consumption. We're making it for. I, uh, so, I went through Scotland uh, tasting some of the mash yeah. and then like years later somebody told me by the way we discovered that's really bad to do there's way too much uh, like yeast and thing it'll just mess up it could potentially mess up your stomach yeah. <laughs> never taste beer don't, don't ever taste beer out of a distillery just don't do it no we're, we're not we're not there to make beer really but we have to make a beer in order to, and I'm not sure if your listeners would know the history of distilling um, originally distilling more or less started in Ireland the, the technology or the craft that still was brought back from the Middle East where it was used just to make a perfume. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, it was mostly common to drink beer because water could be very contaminated. It was very safe to drink beer. and People drank a lot more beer than they drink now. You know, they could have also boiled the water. and then, But beer just ended up being better, right? <laughs> beer is much better. <laughs> so monks... Was a lot of their nutrition was coming from the beer That's as fair well. Too, yeah, yeah. So, it was a food almost, yeah. 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 Uh, so um, so monks who would have traditionally made beer um, just obviously took the next step and distilled, and we got a product called Ishkabaha, which uh, means the water of life. Uh, which the English couldn't pronounce, and instead of saying Ishkabaha, they said whiskey. <laughs> that's the whole, where we get the whole thing from. So, so yeah, so that's um, the story of of, um, of why this product, why Castmates, works so well. And then, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I guess our sort of entry into this, um, Jameson had made the decision they wanted to to find a Canadian brewer mm-hmm. to, to work with, or potentially more than one, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
we're fortunate enough that uh, I guess the folks that make the decision really like our beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they, they came and approached us. And the, the really sort of the, the serendipitous thing is that we'd been searching uh, for a way to partner with Jameson for quite some time, actually, because we already were making a beer called Strong Patrick that we were aging part of the the batch in whiskey barrels. And, right, right. and for us, we it's a strong Irish red uh, mm-hmm. beer that's partially aged in whiskey barrels, so it's got this kind of wonderful whiskey note, but we always said what's going to make this beer the perfect beer is if we can get Irish whiskey barrels, and in right. particular, we were really sort of gunning for the, for the Jameson barrels. So when they called us up and said, we've got this program, we'd like to lend you these barrels, we were just... You know, the, the jaws dropped. We're right. like, thank you. <laughs> you just made our jobs a whole lot sometimes easier. Sometimes you work for a living, sometimes it drops in your lap, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and Strong Patrick was already one of our uh, sort of highly highly regarded but best best known beers that we were producing mm-hmm. outside of our, you know, Lug Tread, which is our flagship beer. Mm-hmm. We've got maybe 50 brands that we'll release in a, in a given year. And Strong Patrick was always the one that people would get really excited yeah. about. Yeah. And so uh, when we were able to, to integrate uh, the Irish whiskey barrels from Jameson, it uh, it just elevated the whole thing. And we're seeing the, the reaction to this. And yes. we're just starting to le- launch it now. And the reaction's far greater than it than it was before, which was already fantastic. And do you think um, it's going to be, uh, is this intended to create a crossover between beer, whiskey, uh, beer drinkers and whiskey drinkers, or is this intended to be a new a new kind well, of... Well, um, like for us, with Castmates, it's gone worldwide as a product. Yeah. And, and, our, and our standard Castmates is still done with Franciscan Well and mm-hmm. Cork. Um, but it's a great opportunity to actually make it local. Mm-hmm. In other words, link up with a brewer here in Canada here, and and make it very customer based. Yeah. So when you get your beer, you will see the Jameson logo on Strong Patrick. Yeah. And when the castmates then is returned to Canada, it will only be available in Canada. It's not going to be a world release like that. So right. it'll be very unique, and you'll see the brewer's um, label on the Jameson castmates. So it it will have a very local feel to it, um, and it does. It will differ every market you go to mm-hmm. because it depends on what beer that the brewery make. So it's going to have a different taste profile. It will have a different. How dramatically different do you expect those profiles to be? Well, the strong red. A lot of the early versions were done in a kind of a stout or porter tradition, and the castmates we have here is done in in that type of beer. Mm-hmm. So it's a very strong kind of chocolate taste from it. Um, so yeah, it, we won't know till we actually taste the castmates. That's the, the exciting part about yeah, this, right? It's, it's going to be it's alchemy. It's, be and it's and, not science. And, yeah, um, a lot of the other ones I've tasted from various other breweries um, have all been very different. Yeah. So you almost have a new product all the time in regards to castmates, especially when you link up with a local brewery, mm-hmm. um, which makes it really exciting. So how far are we on the, in that process? The bars are both to be shipped back to Ireland, I think. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, was in, I was in the brewery. Yeah, they were all wrapped up amazing. and waiting to get picked up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was lucky to be able to get up to the guys on, uh, on Wednesday there, and it was amazing to see the whole operation. It's very slick and very family-orientated, I thought. Yeah. Great atmosphere. Yeah. Great walk, and actually, you can feel it when you walk in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it made the guys doing a great job and... Um, and that's, so. I think that's one of the, the parts about this project that uh, our 
are really uh, special for, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jer mentioned earlier that this was uh, something that came about not from marketing folks, but from people actually at on the production floor. Yeah, and and I think that sort of concept has really really traveled through the whole way they're implementing. So it's not just marketing people talking to marketing people. Myself and uh, Matthew, our master brewer went to Cork. We, we spent time with Jer yeah. at the distillery. Jer's been to the brewery. There's there's learning, there's sharing of knowledge that's happening. Um, and I think more than anything, there's there's the friendships developing that, that make the project yeah. more special. When you, uh, when you kind of just have the marketing folks working away, and don't get me wrong, they're wonderful people, yeah. Yeah. but uh, you don't necessarily achieve the same level of authenticity. And uh, and to me, that's what, what I really appreciate about this project, is the, the amount of attention that went to making this more than just, you put your logo on my thing, and I'll put my logo on your thing. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, because as you said, it's really important that we bring you to Middleton to get a feel of everything we do mm-hmm. to see how passionate we are about what we do and with our casks and our whiskey and everything else um, and then ultimately for me to visit your brewery and see everything there so it's production guys with production guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good right. way of putting it production guys are production guys um, so to review there's Jameson Barrels in Ireland yeah take them yeah, ship them to here. You've made beer in them already. That's yep. right. Uh, and that's the beer that we have here today. That's right. And then those barrels are now being packaged and shipped back. Um, how? Um, so for the pure whiskey geeks, the, the the people that really want to know all the all the kind of ins and outs, how wet? Like, are the barrels wet when they you ship them over? Were they dry? Like, what condition? No, no, they're they're very fresh. They're very fresh. They're so straight they're off stri- the line um, from being emptied um, virtually before they come because. Mm-hmm. With casks, you must um, keep them fresh, keep them rotated fast. So when we want to ship the casks, it's done. We try to do it as quickly as we can. Okay. Um, and you're going to seal it up, I assume, to kind uh, of... Well, the cask will be sealed anyway when yeah. we decide when it's, it's, it's in good condition like that. When it does arrive here, then the wood will have a, quite an amount of Jameson whiskey within the wood. Yeah. And when you add the beer, you're going to get that interacting with the beer it's going to come out of the wood sometimes you get a ver- uh, the alcohol can- will rise mm-hmm. because of the whiskey that's in the wood because I mean a beer um, like that can restore what, what, 5% 10% of the can absorb something like that of yeah, alcohol even more even more even yeah, more, yeah. Um, so the the, the the barrel will from a fresh barrel brand new virgin oak barrel to a cast that's just it has the whiskey in the wood will yeah. be double the weight almost yeah okay which is whiskey that's amazing. Um, so what you don't want is the cast to be lying there a long time drying out. Right. Whiskey starts to evaporate, starts to come out through the, the, the wood itself. So you want to get it over, get it filled as quick as possible. When we get it back to Middleton, we want to fill them immediately. So within a day or two, they'll be filled in Middleton um, yeah. to, to get the beer influence as fast as we can. You know? is, would the beer absorption be about the same or are you expecting less? It, w- it would be about the same, I think. I think it, it, the beer is going to kind of almost switch over in the wood. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and dominate. Yeah. Um, and even though when we put in, say, um, 200 liters of whiskey into the cask, yeah. you're still going to get a big beer influence. Yeah. You're going to get that hops, creamy mouthfeel coming through. So, um, so that'll tell you how much beer is actually in the wood. Because the, not, the alcohol if, breaks it, like the alcohol is what kind of breaks the wood down yeah. a little bit. So with beer, you're yeah. going to have less, but you're still thinking the absorption rate is still going to, I guess, still gonna you're just going to weigh the barrel. You're going to know exactly it's, how it's much you got. Yeah, very high, yeah. yeah. And, interesting. Um, 
So it's not as if we're leaving a bit of beer in the barrel. Yeah, yeah. No, the barrel is empty. Yeah. It's the beer in the wood. Yeah. Um, so for the guys on the beer side um, and brewers, you're going to also get some oak influence as well, mm-hmm. you know, and depending on how long they age the beer in, in the wood. But um, so, yeah, you're going to get that marrying of the two. Um, and traditionally, going back, all barrels would have been used in the brewing in the beer industry as well. It would have been all barrels and you would have had sure. that old tradition of having all flavors within your beer anyway that's a good point uh, yeah like my uncle was the last former cooper in murphy's brewery in cork so my family have worked in breweries and distilleries all down through time you know um so yeah it's kind of common bringing home bringing everything back home again using barrels again using wood again yeah jerry could you talk about your family because i mean you, you, you've got a long history with, you, yeah um i suppose my family have been practicing and working at cooper for well over 200 years now so kind of mm-hmm fifth generation if not sixth um, and like at one time there were six of my my uncles and everything else all working within distilleries and coopers most of my tools have been handed down from them most of them would be my dad so and you have some here and yeah. I have some here that I yeah. brought um, that I just traveled with kind of a couple of tools that have a kind of bit of history to them uh, and um, I, I'm sort of unique as well in that I serve my apprenticeship to my dad Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always the case where you would serve directly to your dad. Yeah, um, that must have sucked. <laughs> it, 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 you have a similar experience, I assume. It, it, <laughs> Working with family, it sucked if you were up too late at the weekend. Because <laughs> you, you could have had a funny up or a fight with him at home, but when you got into work, you had to do what he taught you. He was the boss. <laughs> that was a different experience. That didn't happen too often, and I treasure the memory now of having worked that close with my dad all the time. And um, highly skillful. I often try to say I'm not as skillful as he was. Um, he was extremely good with some of the tools and it's only one generation ago that all barrels were made by hand mm-hmm. um, like my dad made barrels completely from start to finish by hand so that's kind of forgotten in the mechanized age whatever you know so that's why a lot of the tools I have are not are still in my possession because they were on use when I had entered right um, so yeah I'm very proud of that uh, very proud of and for your listeners some coopering thing is that I often say most of what I do is unchanged in like two or three thousand years because once you have a cylinder which is a barrel yeah you're going to make it or repair it virtually the same way no matter where you are now I know it's gotten very mechanized in Kentucky and Tennessee and where they make American barrels uh, and the same in Spain it's it's still very hands-on but to repair a cask you need a cooper who's going to do it the exact same way that he was taught in my case 40 odd years ago um, so I love that fact that I still work with my family tools, doing exactly the same thing I learned years ago. I don't have to be reskilled or retrained up or do a new course. Something <laughs> technology has changed. The technology stays the same all the time. Um, so it's been fascinating, uh, and I still learn new stuff. Believe yeah. it or not, I, I still come across things that you know in history that I've seen before. Or, so I still learn new stuff. Um, one of the projects I kind of work on in my spare time uh, at home and stuff. Uh, trying to recreate some vessels from old Viking Dublin in the 10th yeah. century. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it's the exact same way I did it, and that's that's the point I'm making it. You know, so it's a beautiful craft from that point of view. And it is a craft. I mean, we I've, I've only have uh, seen it a few times, like Cooper's at work, but I mean, like, as he said, it's not a, it's not like, oh, it's not like Ikea furniture. Oh, this piece fits with that piece every single time. You have different cuts of wood. You have to take out a, a stave, and you, it's it's a whole thing. It's it's not a, it it's feel, going back to your point, it's a little bit of feel, it's a little bit of... It's it, very much down to skill and yeah. instinct, almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
like I've explained that the only measuring tool in coopering is a compass, which you measure the top of the cast mm-hmm. so you can fit a lid on a pot of head. <laughs> right. Everything after that is by eye. Yeah. So if you get the angles on the stave wrong or not correct when you put it liquid in there, a beer or a whiskey, it will leak. Like the bar will find your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't have a really too much of a hangover on Monday morning and say it'll be fine. It won't be fine because we should fill it. Yeah. So you want to cut down any leaks if possible. So when you're choosing your wood, when you're making your cask or repairing whatever, you have to reach perfection every time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's and and that and you sign your name discover. on it, correct? Like there's a you do you put a mark. Yeah. What, what traditionally what we call in cooper we call a block mark because the cooper would literally have a block of wood that he does all the work on, leave right. a barrel on or cut or whatever. Essential piece of equipment, as simple as it is. Yeah. Um, so Cooper would be go to his block, is the term. Yeah. And he would have a block mark to mark his wood. So it could be a letter, it could be a number. Once you get that at the start of your career, your start of your apprenticeship, it's yours then for life. Oh, wow. So that barrel then, if you make any mistake or something happens to the barrel later or it leaks or whatever, it can be traced back to whoever repaired it or made it. So you must stand over your work. And that's been for centuries that you must stand over your work. Yeah. So it's a quality control mechanism that's been there for generations. And I mean, do you do a lot of pressure testing now before there's a whiskey? We do now. Yeah. Um, but traditionally, you wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Now we can use air under pressure. So we can put in kind of rubber, non-returnable valve. Yeah. Put in air. Um, you have some water in the cask. The air then will push the water anywhere where there's a possible leak. So yeah. you're putting in far more pressure than the cask will have when the whiskey's in it. Um, but you don't want to be getting too many of those either. Yeah, They're of course. Too much time. So of course. I would say over 90% of the time, I rarely have a problem at, at testing, you know? Yeah, you yeah. do test um, because you don't want it going up to be filled and somebody saying, I thought you repaired that and it's leaking. So Right, because then somebody has to repair that yeah. barrel. And, yeah. some wood is wood and sometimes you just can't see the defect, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it breaks and you need something like air pressure with water to show where there's a defect. So there's never been a situation, well, I guess it might be, where 10 years from making the barrel, they come down like, you know, that barrel you made 10 years ago. I don't even remember November 26th that morning, but uh, I don't know what you were doing that morning, but this barrel, it just, it leaked everywhere. It just, it's gone. Like, Well, no, uh, yeah, I still would see my mark coming out of the warehouse. Yeah. Uh, I, I collected all the block marks that other coopers used, I, and I collected a lot of the stages. Oh, amazing. So you can see the signature from past generations mm-hmm. on barrels. Um, if a barrel is in there ten years and it leaks, it's 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 something wrong with the wood. Then yeah, that's not Jerry's fault. Is that? <laughs> that's not. It's, <laughs> it's past the test. Ten but, days, but maybe. <laughs> you, you could get a barrel could leak after twenty years. Yeah. Because the pressure that's on the wood eventually it might give. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other way that we ensure that good quality wood would be technique what we call quarter sawing. Mm-hmm. And where the wood is split, so the rings are at ninety degrees to the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my point of view, that's all done for strength. Mm-hmm. And it doubles the strength. Again, now oh, that's old technology. That's yeah. going back to the Vikings and the Romans understood how to cut oak in a certain way to, to make it stronger. Yeah. Um, the best way to explain it to anybody in the Americas is that if you take a, a baseball bat and you face the label up, as they tell you on the instructions. That means the rings on the bat are at 90 degrees to the ball. Right. So the first major baseball bat to come out of the U.S. was the Louisville Slugger. Mm-hmm. So it was no coincidence that it came out of Louisville where all the cooperages were in the sure. yeah. Because they understood the technology of how to cut wood. 
were strongest. And that was a major uh, improvement. Yeah. So when the batter is coming in to hit the ball, if he starts twisting that bat, and the rings are at, not at 90 degrees when he hits the ball, he's not going to hit his home run, and he's going to break his bat maybe. Yeah. So that's part of the scale, and that's coopering technology in sport. I like that we brought this back to baseball. Not that we started in baseball, that's pretty, started in baseball. but that's pretty amazing. Um, that's just a piece of trivia on, on, on some of the influences that bring his hat on other yeah. things, you know? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I never heard that before. That's amazing. Um, can we um, can we start with a little bit of drinking? Because I, I normally don't do the podcast past 20 you, minutes without a drink. I never ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're going to start with, with um, castmates. Yeah. Um, and this is, as I said, would have had been matured in a dark beer, a porter. Um it's probably gone about four or five months um, aging mm-hmm. and finish, I suppose. Um, so, again, initially when I spent it, I think you, straight away you're getting almost a hops nose off it. I, I would get something like green apple even, you know. Um, the one thing I always say to uh, people when I do a tasting and I say to your listeners as well, is that my nose is not as good as anyone else I've been working with oak for 42 years yeah. I've kind of gotten so used to the smell of oak at this stage you don't smell it anymore so I'm not I'm sure that Jameson is just you know exactly what that smells like exactly. you can isolate that, that nose and then you, you're picking out the other right away so yeah. it's kind of like freshly mowed hay almost um, I like that yeah that's that so and a taste very smooth um, and a lot of that is the triple distillation, mm-hmm. which is really important. Makes it very smooth. Um, that pepperness you get would be um, probably the pot still initially, mm-hmm. um, which is very signature of, of pot still whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, then mellows down. Um, again, I would feel it. Would would you still feel very hops feeling to it? Um, there's there's a bit of that sort of resiny character. To there it. is yeah. a kind of yeah. barley grains. Um, bit of a kind of chocolate coffee bean even almost um, butterscotch um, much different to original and um, because of that beer influence coming through mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but a very fine whiskey one you can drink neat or whatever um, very smooth um, so I totally get the chocolate too because like it's that dark chocolate it's about the flavor but it's more about the, what the texture that it does to your tongue is the way it, it melts on your tongue it's, it it's a and it, textural element it lasts quite a long time yeah um, so uh so it's a lovely whiskey. I think uh, the AVB is forty percent. So it's it's about the average that for for Jameson and for Jameson castmates. Um, so hopefully you enjoy it. It's a good marry of both beer and whiskey coming together to form mm-hmm. a great whiskey. So yeah, no, this is this is really delicious. I um, I it's um it's a nice st- step away from uh, other barrel finishes such as you know with the sherry the this that it's a nice kind of different direction to go. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's take this story back to Bose because uh, you've you've made uh, you've made beer now with whiskey That's barrels. Right. Not not their first time that you've done this course. Yeah. As you mentioned, you've done it previously. But um, tell us what sort of uh, beer like tell us what considerations you have when maturing beer sure. in barrels out of whiskey. Sure. The, uh, the there's a number of considerations in general when you're when you're doing this, mm-hmm. but I think the biggest consideration is that uh, aging in whiskey barrels tends to dominate the flavor of beer pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, if if that's what you're looking for, is a beer that tastes entirely like whiskey, <laughs> right? That that can be a great thing. 
what we've done at our brewery is we've been playing around a lot with um, blending mm-hmm. the same way that uh, that you would at a distillery. Yeah. So when we when we put out most of our beers that have barrel aging, it's not a hundred percent barrel aged. Right. Uh, what that does is it allows you to integrate the the whiskey notes without them just taking over the whole show. That's a great point because you do like single cast tastings and you have the whiskey influences. And mm-hmm. especially early on, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, I early on for me for, for tasting that, I'm like, oh, this is good. But it's not. It's it's a little sudden. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little too whiskey, a little too that. It's a little sudden. Exactly. Um, and at that point, why aren't you drinking whiskey? Right. Well, that's my <laughs> feeling. If you're a beer drinker, probably a different story. But if you're a whiskey drinker, like, ah, just whiskey, just give me whiskey. It's fine. Yeah. Well, it does tend to overwhelm, um, and and what happens is you lose a lot of the nuance as well. Mm-hmm. So by blending this in, uh, especially for our strong Patrick, what you get is you do get the nice uh, warming characteristics of the whiskey. Um, you get the you know the additional alcohol hit. You also start to get you know vanillas from wood. You start to have the things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick out as well if you were having something that was. Just 100%, you know, aged in whiskey barrels, and and then the other considerations that we have is you have to know what kind of malt backbone is going to really work well with those right. whiskey notes. You have to understand how to play with the hops so that uh, so that it integrates into the beer. Because what so for not for whiskey drinkers, hops is your flavoring agent essentially. Your your yeah, well, the the sort of basic principles of beer are uh, sort of balancing out typically sweet and bitter. Mm-hmm. The sweet comes from the malts, and then the bitter comes from the hops. And and then the, within there, you've got all sorts of aromatics you can start playing around with as well, but your mm-hmm. basic building blocks are usually sweet and bitter. Yeah. And, and then, you know, when you're integrating with whiskey... And in particular, with uh, with barrels that haven't been used too many times, you also get that oak character. So you start getting extra sweetness, you know, nice vanilla notes and things like that coming out. Right. So understanding how to balance that out with the rest of the beer becomes, I think, the the main consideration. Yeah, that's a good point because I mean, whiskey, the, the high, higher proof whiskey breaks down the the walls of the barrel. You're going to get more, like you said, vanilla notes. More of that notes are going to come through just because whiskey has more proof. It's going to break down the Barrel. With beer, lower proof, you're not going to get that much of that oak extraction per se that's on right. its own. Yeah, that's yeah. an interesting. Point. And yeah. because they've they've already been partially broken down, I think yeah. you, you do get you do get some of that. But you definitely, if you're using a barrel that has recently had whiskey in it, yeah. you're going to get primarily whiskey flavors coming out yeah. of it. And then as you age it, you start getting more tannins and more vanillas and things like that nice. coming out. But okay. um, but you can't you can't get away from that initial whiskey hit. Yeah. So you have to learn how to play with that inside the beer. Are you? Uh, do Is you that s- a good segue moment? That's a great segue moment. <laughs> Let's drink some beer. Absolutely. Never said that on the podcast yet. So that's a- oh, good. <laughs> made random cocktails on the podcast, but I've never had a. I think this beer is my podcast. first time being in a beer uh, pod- or a whiskey podcast as well for me. So well, there you go. So I'm just as excited. The um, that's very that's uh, really fascinating. Uh, I, li- I like that that it's already been partially broken down. You've got the whiskey, and do you do you guys reveal how much the ratio of beer mat- like whiskey matured beer and yeah non- for this it's one sixth okay so uh, we've tried it at higher concentrations and lower concentrations mm-hmm. at lower concentrations sometimes you're left kind of guessing 
is it, am I really tasting this or am I being suggested that I'm tasting this? And, yeah. Uh, at higher concentrations, um, that's where we find you start to lose the nuance in the in the in the beer itself. Yeah. We've got some really nice caramel malts in here. Uh, we've, we use uh, pilgrim hops, which are um, you know nice and grassy. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not. This isn't intended to be a, a hop bomb beer. So mm-hmm. the the hops are really there to just balance things out and keep it from getting cloying. Um, and then you get a lot of other things going on as well. And if you kind of on the nose, so uh, explain to me how to drink beer. Um, I feel like I've done this lesson many times with whiskey. How do how do we drink beer? Well, it's it's not that it's not that much different. Mm-hmm. Um, you would typically start by by looking at it, mm-hmm. uh, and you get a lot of visual cues from your beer. So you can see with this one, it's it's quite uh, quite easy to see through. It's not murky at all. Mm-hmm. It's going to let you know it's a filtered beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with if you saw a nice murky beer, uh, it was kind of hazy or opaque. Um, you would expect more of a yeast character to come through because there's usually a reason why the brewer is leaving yeast in there. Right. So with this, um, I mean, it's visually wonderful. You get uh, just lots of nice uh, sort of orangey copper kind of colors. Mm-hmm. When you move to the aromas... And you're, you're twirling the glass here. You're, yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Twirl, twirl the glass. Um, it doesn't sound like a very beer thing to do twirling, but... <laughs> well, you got to be careful if you've got a full pint. Too. Yes. Um, typically, if you do the glance first, so just a very, very quick sniff, mm-hmm. wait about 10 seconds and then go in for a deep dive. That's okay. going to help. Uh, the, the, the quick sniff is going to get your brain ready to, to kind of really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um and when you get really in there, now we've got really deep glasses, so yeah, I'm, I'm picking up a lot of glass right now in, <laughs> in my aromatics. Um, but uh, if I poured more in the glasses here, it was it's true. Glass was important, important in beer as it is in whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you should be getting, you know, in this particular beer, you're going to get a lot of the sweet notes, mm-hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna actually smell a little bit of the whiskey notes as well. So okay. that's going to tell you what what to expect on taste. Um, Cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers. So on this particular beer, on taste, you're going to notice, one, how it starts, second, how it finishes, and then third, how it how it lasts. Um, I find, uh, you know, initially it's the, the sweetness that comes out mm-hmm. uh, with a little touch of bitterness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the caramel notes really kind of build through the, the middle. Yeah. And the, the whiskey, I find, stays on the... On the linger a bit, mm-hmm. um, and this is where you, you do really start to notice. I think um, the flavors build as well over over the course of the pint. the The main difference with uh, with beer tastings as a vert as opposed to other ones is in no circumstances are you ever supposed to spit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say the same thing about whiskey. <laughs> I would, but <laughs> but it's very. Uh, Full mouth, full body. Mm-hmm. It's really stuffing uh, rich, and it's 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 so aromatic. It's beautiful. Yeah, the the textures in this beer are wonderful. Yeah, it's particularly good for this time of year as well, mm-hmm. uh, because it is it's it's coating. It's um, you know it's a rich flavor. It's very cold in uh, Toronto right now. So wintry, snowy, cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, if, if you're listening to this in July, you won't understand that. Comment. <laughs> <laughs> Drink another Bose product. <laughs> No, but uh, it's a, it's a really, um, I mean, I don't get a lot of whiskey influences on this 
um, per se. Uh, but as you're talking about kind of the subtle textures with the vanillas and um, especially the sweetness, kind of that's most that's all beer, as you said. But it's kind of that that subtle after 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 all the beer comes through, you're kind of getting the more subtle notes afterwards, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, very very nice, very very cool. Yeah, nice. really lovely. Yeah. yeah, very very lovely beer. Yeah, we're we're really proud of it, um, and I can say sort of one one year to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, using the the Jameson casks, we've we've seen uh, it's a lot smoother this year. Okay. Uh, in last year's uh, batch, the uh, the whiskey notes were a bit more harsh, mm-hmm. um, and here it's really integrated more, which is why I think you might be having a bit bit more difficulty picking out the whiskey from the yeah uh, yeah uh, from the beer because it's it's integrated really well. What, what we get the pleasure of at the brewery is we try the 100% barrel aged yeah. and the and the not barrel aged at all before yeah. it goes in and you really get to see where the, the whiskey contributes those flavors um, but when you're when you're sort of drinking the final product you just know this is the way it is and, and when we've integrated things perfectly you shouldn't be able to necessarily say oh yeah there's the whiskey and there's there's Th- the that's a crucial point right because I mean otherwise you're you're taking well it's not necessarily gimmicks are bad but you're taking a bit of a gimmick and you're you're pushing that gimmick of like oh I taste the whiskey on my beer but this is intended to be it's an a flavoring beer. element because as a beer maker you yeah. take like I said different flavoring elements to make a beer uh, and there's sub, there's always a subtle uh, play of balance and so that's uh, really really nicely done um, quick question for you Jerry um, with with you with castmates is it the same situation where you're using um, not a hundred percent beer casts you're using some non beer casts the same same idea well the Jameson is is mature mm-hmm. so it's already done it's it's time sure that's four that's years. a good point it's a finishing it's not a finished product not a, yeah um, and then we're just adding it to the beers now not all beers work mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee uh, yeah. it might be a beautiful beer market or you know but when it does collaborate with and again, the point is we must get the cast in quickly if there's a delay and the beer is in it starts to spoil or whatever, starts to oxidize. That's a good point. You're dealing with a fermented yeah, product. It can spoil. Are, it can spoil. <laughs> yeah. And so there is really an urgency to get it in quick and all that. Yeah. But overall, I think 90% of the barrels we receive back from different brewers have worked really well. I mean, you know, so the, good, the, the good cast, cast flying first class, private jet, how are they? Uh... They're going back. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure how they come back from Canada. A lot of them do fly. They do fly, they really fly them. Wow. back quick, you know. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I know that can be expensive. Yeah. Um, but in order to ensure that the cash are good quality condition so when it's, they arrive. It's six weeks on a boat otherwise, yeah. right? So, yeah. So the beer can spoil then within the, the cask itself, you know. But then you could call, call it an Ocean's Jefferson's cask. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, your marketing department's missing out on yeah. this one a little bit. Totally. I mean, yeah. that, uh, that giant freight boat's got to be in some, some local terroir. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, so we want, as I said, we want not to the the product is out of, of the cask in a couple of months' time, and hopefully. But judging by the beer, yeah, uh, from tasting it, I would have no fear that it wouldn't work. You know, oh, this is terrific. Be this is terrific, uh, yeah. and any of you, um, yeah. And the, the beauty about it is, I've been telling people that you know, when you you buy the beer now, make sure you keep a couple of bottles, mm-hmm. so that when the castmates comes back, it will work really well with yeah. the beer. Yeah. You know, they work really well together when you have the whiskey that's been matured with Bose mm-hmm. beer barrels and the Bose beer that's been matured with Jameson barrels that when you pair the two of them 
Yeah. They work really well. Oh, that sounds great. I'm so that's something that. to keep keep a couple of uh, bottles of because it sends up really quick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep yeah, a couple of and, and I would also suggest that you also buy a bottle of Jameson when you get your Strong Patrick so that you can <laughs> see how that influences the flavor of the yeah, That's a good point. Yeah, you can actually do a try to do the Jameson first, then the beer, then the Castmate the finish. Castmate's original, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's good for drinkers, I suppose. Uh, when we're all uh, whiskey drinkers or beer drinkers, we are all really interested in the, the whole nuances of that going on in the whole industry, both beer and whiskey and the casks and the time. And so it's always something new to discover and new to learn. So, and this is new and new to discover. So, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Jameson is such a. W- wonderfully recognized brand um, and also a really delicious whiskey I mean if you go to any bar in Toronto especially I'm sure in many countries if you order a shot of something you're getting Jameson yeah. but it is one of those whiskeys where if you sip you're always going to enjoy yeah. which isn't true with a lot of shooting whiskeys because you know there's other whiskeys you might shoot like when you yeah. were in college or university now you're like oh this this wasn't good at all yeah. but <laughs> if you take the time to sip a Jameson you're you're yeah. going to enjoy what you're, ha- what you're having which I think is a wonderful quality of Jameson's it's, it's the, it the is, quality um, of whiskey comes through there, there's a few things that kind of make it stand out, I suppose, um, that, that make it stand out as, as an Irish whiskey opposed to some other Scotch or bourbon or something is that, um, one, it's triple distilled mm-hmm. on the whole, and I know there's some triple distillation in Scotland as well, but on the whole it's double distilled. Yeah. Bourbon tends to be single distilled. So you do get a lot more smoother, a um, lot of impurities taken out maybe in the distilling process, so it tends to be a lot smoother mm-hmm. straight away. The other thing uh, that's kind of unique to Ireland is would be what we call a single pot still. Um, and to explain that, um, like everybody would use pot stills maybe in their operation as well. But what delish- what differ- or makes Ireland different is that um, back in the day when the English were always trying to figure out how do we tax a whiskey? You know, how do we make sure we get our revenue? You know, are they making what they say they're making? So they initially tried taxing the distill itself, the size, the capacity. Mm-hmm. But then they were saying, but maybe they're making more than they're telling us. And so that wasn't working. So. The hidden still, right? <laughs> so then they decided to tax the cereal, the malt barley arriving in the distillery. Uh, we could count the malt barley bags or we can wait and we can know exactly what they should produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so they taxed on the malt. Um, and a lot of distillers back in Ireland decided to try and cut the tax bill down and use unmalted barley. So to reduce a tax bill, we started using one malted barley, and surprise enough, again, another accident like Casmate itself, is that you started to get a whole different uh, taste profile, a lot more creamier mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the distinguishing features with us and, and why our single pot stills are used. And you have single pot still, you have pot still in, in Jameson, a lot of Jameson brands, along with grain whiskey. So it is a blend. Yeah. Um, so that's some of the differences that you would find. The other thing that we don't do with our malts is we don't um, smoke dry the mm-hmm. malts like they would in Scotland. So you have no smoky flavors no of our whiskeys. Yeah. We, we use an, Trisha would have been an anthracite to, to malt the barley, and that's where you, you heat up the grains, the barley, to fold them into thinking of growing, and you go on from there into the thinning process. So there are kind of three major things that are different about our whiskeys. And I mean, unmalted barley takes longer to ferment as well. There's a bit of a time consumption there, right? Because yeah. that's, you know, you're doing this yeah. out of more tradition, but yeah. I, I think in Scotland they did the same, they did the same sort of thing, but they went, went to fully, but like you're, you're, you're taking time to, 
to ferment, it's taking mm-hmm. longer with the beer, the terrible beer yeah, that you make. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it takes a lot longer, <laughs> but it does, but it comes through wonderfully in the product at the end. I think, yeah. um, uh, yeah. like for me, it's always like, for me, I always see the, the creaminess, the green grassy notes, yes. the kind of, that kind of freshness, uh, that I really enjoy. I think it's the smoothness and the freshness, which I think is really, really complimentary. Cause sometimes you can have a smooth whiskey that if it doesn't bring a, like another kind of fresh or some other mm-hmm. element, you're like, okay, this is fine. But that, that freshness for me, uh, is what really does it for Jameson, uh, every single time and, I, I totally and, and the distillery in Middleton in, in generally just creates amazing whiskeys yeah, uh, yeah. all through the range uh, yeah I suppose we're lucky in Middleton that everything is done on site as such and mm-hmm. we don't uh, we're not just a blending house or just buying in whiskeys from different distilleries or we're just having a warehouse done in different parts of the country or anything like that yeah. we do everything ourselves so we, we really go from uh, grain to glass in that we uh, bring in our malts we bring in our barrels or or grain and fill them ourselves warehouse themselves monitor the whole operation from top to finish yeah. so every mature product say that's say Jimson 12 year old or 18 or say Redbreast 12 or 18 every single barrel is is, test, is sampled mm-hmm. and knows for quality control and, and we rarely have any issues because yeah. one of the other things that distinguishes as well is our maturization program and as you were saying Masters of Wood is recognized as being one of the best in the world. And so we never, ever leave an, an empty barrel outdoors. Mm-hmm. It's kept underdoors. Now, that's expensive to build just warehousing just for empty barrels. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we rotate very regularly. So our barrels come out after maybe 30, 35 years finished. You know, we've we filled them enough. Mm-hmm. And they're like the day we bought them. Yeah. They're like a brand new barrel. Yeah. And so by taking that extra care, care of our wood and our, our barrels, we can ensure the quality at the end. Um, if, for example, if you in Ireland in particular, if you left barrels outdoors in summer months or whatever, they dry up and you could have a shower of rain, the water gets into the barrel, gets contaminated, you don't discover it, you fill the barrel, years later your barrel comes out and your whiskey isn't what you expected. Right, you get a bit of fun. We've completely there. eliminated yeah. that. Um, we're, we're running, I know you guys are uh, running short on time, but... Um, Let's uh, you've uh, let's pour one more whiskey and we can talk okay. about uh, let's, that. Let's, do, let's. do you um, and I, I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but uh, do you want to talk about the other the thirty other distilleries open in Ireland and uh, yeah. and and that because I think that's an exciting time for Irish whiskey and that's a yeah. compliment to Jameson. Uh, yeah. Um, certainly, but just kind of what else is what else we're seeing in, in Ireland? Um, well, you're you're going to see it's a tough industry to open up. Um, it's a very tough industry to open up because there's so much capital outlay. You have to wait a long time for your whiskeys to mature and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, quite recently, just beef in, in October, we had 15 of these small distilleries visit us mm-hmm. for training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where we spent a whole day training on all the wood aspects of the business. So I had them in my cooperage and I explained some common things they might come across in the way of defects, how to repair those defects, how to sample the cask particularly how to handle a full cask mm-hmm. because if you're not careful rolling a full cask the weight of the cask will break itself if you hit it off something right. so, and I've seen that with distilleries that just don't know how to handle barrels how to raise them and they're both for safety pounds? yeah they're fairly heavy they're yeah. very heavy um, so um, especially for their staff handling them you don't want to see injuries happen so we went through that for a whole day with 15 distilleries yeah. so we do have a vested interest in making sure everybody produces a quality whiskey Yeah. Um, and that's the only thing we ask is look just make good whiskey we'll compete in market we're production guys we have no problem sharing the technical dishes yeah. so we have given a lot of help and support 
to a lot of these new distilleries. Mm. I think it's really exciting, personally, to see new distilleries come back to get the category back in Ireland that we lost for so long. Yeah. That's gone for almost 100 years. Yeah. So I think there's something like 32 distilleries now of different sizes in Ireland. Some can be really small. Um, they initially started out producing a gin or a vodka, and that's where you've seen mm-hmm. the explosion that's in the gin. Yeah. Um, but they're really waiting for the whiskey to mature. Um, so it's a really exciting time. We're starting to see whiskey tourism come back into mm-hmm. where people are visiting distilleries and stuff. Yeah. Um, and as I say, we're quite happy to, as a company, Jameson, to share a lot of our knowledge and whatever. We're, we're not swapping formulas. Mm-hmm. But we're not giving away any secrets. I mean, there's no secrets in maturing whiskey and looking after barrels and all that, and we share. So, so we wish them the best. Yeah. And there's room for us all. Yeah. And it's great business about it, so it's really good. No, it's love hearing that. Love hearing that. No, that's uh, great. So let's uh, pour one more, and we'll. Okay. Uh... We we will we will try say Jameson Black Barrel. Okay. Um, um, and this is a whiskey I've been involved with a lot myself in because I go to Kentucky mm-hmm. um, maybe once a year to supervise what we call a double charring. Mm-hmm. So we remove the lids of the cask and we rechar the barrel. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking to do is get as much uh, vanilla, caramel contribution and charred wood in this whiskey. It's, it's, it's a, also got a very small batch whiskey in it. Mm-hmm. It's only made once a year. Right. Um, where the grain whiskey is put, instead of just constantly going through the column still, mm-hmm. the first distillation is through the pot still, okay. which is unusual for grain. Yeah. And then the next two distillations are through the column still. Yeah. So it's only done one day a year. Um, it is a blend. It does have pot whiskey in it and grain whiskey and that small batch. Yeah. Um, so on the nose, to me, it's very sweet. It's almost... almost you could almost say an American style whiskey. I was going to say it smells a little bourbon, not actually bourbony, but it has yeah, a little yeah, bit of that's what I say, the vanilla style whiskey. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's a lot of the oak influence as well, and that yeah. double charring. Yeah, um, you do get those vanilla sweet notes coming off it, and the taste. This is beautiful. Yeah, that's very um, very warm mouth feel to it. Yeah. Tight, very slight peppiness again, so that's the pot still coming through. Um, kind of chocolate notes again, I would get off of that. Um, charred wood, um, very floral. Um, when do you get that second that hit? Sweetness is really, yeah. is really there present, you know? You get the second hit of sweetness, kind of yeah. starts. Um, the oak tannins take through, and then there's yeah. the kind of late sweetness that comes through which is really nice um, um, yeah. very drinkable whiskey uh, yeah. one of my favourites in, in the whole category because of that sweetness mm-hmm. um, there is some sherry wood in there as well mm-hmm. um, because it is a blend but uh, overall it's the American oak is dominating and again that small batch whiskey yeah. you know so uh, we, one of my favourites and it so this is me. this is a marketing department product though you gotta admit however it, it is was, delicious it, it was, is uh, it really was, wonderfully executed that, um, which is where you guys come in but <laughs> yeah, this the really, fact that I get yeah. to go to Kentucky every year to supervise mm. the chairing now this is really uh, complaining it's right? the first time I'm tasting <laughs> this and I'm really I'm really enjoying that uh, so yeah it's been around quite yeah. a while now yeah. um, it's gonna maybe I'm not sure how long it's in Canada but uh yeah, it's the kind of the bigger brother of Jameson, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a step up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bit more mature, it's a bit more sophisticated. Um, so, so for Jameson lovers, do try Black Barrel. Can we so, um, can we uh, describe one of the tools you've brought here? Yeah, um, because I, I, I feel I've, I've brought a couple of tools with me. Um, oh God! One of the more dramatic um, ones. That I'm very be, traumatized. Uh, a Cooper's axe. So, uh, 
<laughs> this broad axe is quite big. It's quite. This threatening. looks like uh, medieval. If I was playing D and D, I'd be like, yeah, "How'd uh, you get that on the plane?" It's, 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 <laughs> that's actually an excellent question. How did you get that on the plane? Well, when we even coming back from uh, from Can Vancouver, we kind of course yeah. coming back from Vancouver, there was the little note inside it saying that they had checked my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everywhere I go, um, the luggage gets checked and I get asked questions. The only times I've had issues is sometimes when you have to go through security to get into an airport. And these are coming up on the monitors being axed. What are you doing with an axe in the airport? And <laughs> so, but this if, if tool I, is kind of... Um, can I describe it first? For, because I, I, I'm sure I'll do a terrible job describing this. But um, it, it's kind of like a hammer, like of a, like of a, a hammer base wooden thing with a giant axy part that looks like... It's meant to like cleave things. I'm gonna go. It's, it's on an angle too. It's kind of lower. The it's, the axe part is lower, and it's on a bit of an angle. And it's very rusted and very old. It's um, very old. And now, I do not want to be cut by this. This is I, probably I do travel with with tools that are maybe not as good as ones I've at home. I don't bring my good tools. That's up. fair. That's fair. And um, this is a tool that would have been very common in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some old footage of loggers preparing logs in a forest in Canada using an axe like this. So this is a carving axe. It's okay. not for chopping wood. It's only beveled on one side. Right. So what you would do is you would stand on your log and you would have a much longer handle mm-hmm. and you'd work down the log trimming it. Mm-hmm. So what you call listing, so you're just taking trim off or taking the bark off. You end up with a very straight edge. Yeah. Turn your log, finish all four sides, you end up with a beam. Yeah. And it could be so good with these axes that there would be no tool marks. It <laughs> would be just somebody planed it. So there is old footage of people doing that in Forest Air in Canada. I've seen it. Um, it's an ancient tool. It's going back to Roman times. Wow. So you couldn't prepare wood up to maybe 20 years ago only with axes. There was no real <laughs> sawmills, no power. And so you would have an axe that's beveled on both sides to chop a tree, but something like this must carve it. Right. So I must carve the vertical pieces on a bar of the staves using one of these. Yeah. And I said, my dad would have used this every day. Yeah. So I still demonstrate that. Yeah. How to carve wood. Um, if I take too much off, I get too much of a slope of a barrel. Mm-hmm. If I take too little off, it's too straight. So that's what I said. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. very much about eye. Um, that is amazing. That's, uh, and then if you put a different handle on this, yeah. instead of working like an ordinary axe, and start working it back towards yourself, you create another tool called an adze, mm-hmm. which is a very ancient tool in itself. That looks like a hammer that's been like the hammer metal part's been blown yeah. up. So, um, again, an important tool here in Canada, mm-hmm. because, uh, as you say, here in Canada, First Nations would have had this tool in stone or flint. Mm-hmm. You would have done your carvings using a flint adze. Yeah. And you would hollow the canoe using a flint adze. Wow. So Just you with will, that. You will find these in stone or flint. Wow. Um, and they date back hundreds of thousands of years in use. And so How between an, a hammer, take? an axe, and an adze. Yeah. Every culture more or less had them at some stage, or various, maybe not every tribe, but every culture. And independently came up with And independently came up with it out of necessity. That's so if amazing. you go if you go to somewhere like New Zealand, an adze is a sacred tool. Yeah. Because they do all the carvings using an adze, the stone adze. And, and I guarantee you, you'll find those in stone or flint in your museums here from First Nation peoples and whatever. So, and the same in Europe. So they're kind of the tools I travel with because there's a bit of history to it. Mm-hmm. They're common enough in most cultures, um, but people don't know the knowledge anymore. It's kind of largely forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where my hand, or it's very hands-on with tools. Ah, the one thing so I'd cool. say about when you look at something like an axe, you think it's fierce and it's, it's dangerous. And mm-hmm. I much prefer hand tools. 
if I make a mistake or something, I get it maybe cut or abrasion sure. or improve. If I may make a mistake on a machine, yeah, I lose my fingers. Yeah, give me the axe any day of the week. <laughs> right, a gash over a lost limb. I. I <laughs> Oh, man. As I always say, living downtown Toronto, I've never faced any of these dangers, uh, but uh, <laughs> I understand the logic. Um, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, Bose, uh, that's for sale right now? That's right. You can get Strong Patrick right up. Uh, Is there like a batch number for this particular release? Is that There's a- actually there's six different batches we made. Okay. Uh, so, depending on which one you get, uh, but uh, because we're certified organic, uh, we've got our batch number and our packaging date on, on okay. all, of our, all of our beer, so you can... You can so, if you want to taste the stuff with Jameson barrels, what do you look for? Well, uh, I mean, in terms of timing. Right, yes. In uh, terms, in terms of, time. of timing, what you're going to have this, uh, now it's uh, mid-January, right till St. Patrick's Day. Okay. And um, as Jer mentioned, uh, you might want to hold on to one last bottle because mm-hmm. the Jameson caskmates uh, aged with the Strong Patrick won't be coming up for a little while. So Probably not until next year, I see. Or uh, this, year, no, this year? It'll be later this year. Okay. But it'll be probably before the summer. Okay. Uh, oh, that's it, awesome. It, it'll okay. take three or four months to mature, but it'll probably be here before the summer. Probably won't be here in time for Patrick's Day. Yeah. Um, but it'll definitely be here before the summer. Uh, and, and so uh, the black barrel we've tasted was uh, excellent. Loved it. And then you have castmates. Those are both available here in Ontario. And, of yeah. course, uh, our, our standard mean, go-to, Jameson. Standard go-to, Jameson. Uh, awesome. Thank you guys for coming on. Really great. Really my pleasure. pleasure. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.